you want to record, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's Zoom. interesting. I think um, you might have to Zoom, but it's not... What's inconvenient is a lot of the settings, you're, you can't change it um, in the meeting. You have to go to your like login. So you might have to um, like later sometime, you can go to zoom.com and then you can kind of mess with the settings a little bit. So you can like allow co-host and things like that. But, but yeah, no, no biggie. So that's cool though. You have a, like people joining from different places. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. Um, God is good, man. Um, so there's a there's quite a different uh, there's quite a few different places here. So I mean, um, it just varies on on who joins it um, all at one time, but you'll have um, different countries in Europe, uh, South America, um, Asia, um, America, Dude, that's nice. That's really nice. <clears throat> Praise God, Miguel. <laughs> that's the convenient thing, too. People will be at work and just listening, you know? Yep, yep. I shared the link with a couple of my friends, so we'll see if they pop in. Awesome. <clears throat> but, yeah, you can pause for right now until we get started. <laughs> the recording. He would proclaim your word he would proclaim it with accuracy he would proclaim it lord with um reverence lord like paul says we're not treating the word of god uh underhandedly we're not uh, tampering with it and so father i ask of you lord that you would convict the hearers your word says that is profitable for teaching reproof and correction so father i pray that if there's anybody pleased today, Lord, it would be you. And God, I ask of you, Lord, that you would grant us direction. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, uh, thank you so much, Greg, for allowing me to come and speak at your Bible study. It's a long time coming, and it's a huge honor for me. Um, I'm very thankful. I know you know, you're, you're not someone who would just let anybody come and preach in your Bible study. So I'm very thankful for the privilege. Um, for those of you guys, obviously, other than Greg, um, you guys don't really know me. So I just want to introduce myself. My name is John. I am a pastor in Los Angeles at a church called International Full Gospel Fellowship. And I've been there for about 12 years now. Um, I got saved in this church, and I've been there ever since. Um, I I want to give you a brief summary of my testimony, just so I'm not a, a lecturing head, but you guys get a little bit of a sense of who I am. Um, well, before that, I want to introduce you to my wife. Uh, this is my me and my wife. My wife's name is Michelle. She's a very godly woman, loves the Lord, loves the church. And uh, this is a picture of us. Actually, when we first started dating, you can tell I'm very happy and excited to finally uh, find a girl who's interested in me. And um, I was in Austin, Texas with her. We just started dating at this time a few years ago. Uh, but now we've been married for about a year and a half. So praise the Lord. Uh, miracles do exist. And um, so that's my wife. Like I said, I want to share just a real brief summary of my testimony. So I got saved just out of high school 
basically, I grew up in a Christian home, but then once I got to junior high or high school, I wasn't living for the Lord at all. I was partying. I was uh, getting in fights with my parents. I was failing in school. All I cared about was, were girls and parties and drugs. And everything kind of reached a um, kind of a climax my senior year. I got my driver's license. And one day, toward the end of my senior year, I was driving my car while intoxicated. And, and uh, believe it or not, I actually passed out while I was driving my car. And I wrecked my car. I, I totaled my car. I damaged the car of another woman by the name of Jennifer. And so that day I got arrested for driving under the influence. I lost my license. I lost my car. I uh, became broke because I had to pay back the, the damages that I did to this other person's car. And God used that accident to bring me to rock bottom. He used that accident to bring me to a place where I realized that I was a sinner in need of God's grace and forgiveness. And so about a month or so after that car accident, I found myself just sitting in my backyard and I was overwhelmed. I was, um, I felt like I was in despair because of what happened. I was afraid of my future. And in that moment, I remembered God because remember, I grew up a Christian. So I remembered God and out of sheer desperation, I called to him for help. And you know what? The Lord heard my prayer. I was at the lowest point of my life and there was nothing I could offer God. And yet he heard my plea for help. He heard my, my prayer of repentance. And over the next few months, God began to change my heart. He led me to the church where I'm at today. And my second time at that church, when I heard the gospel, it was like I heard it for the first time. God just turned the lights on. I finally made the connection between what Christ did on the cross and me as a sinner. And I finally saw that what Christ did was for me and that I needed his sacrificial death. I needed his atonement. I needed his death on the cross to be forgiven and to live a new life. So I gave my life to Christ. I was soon baptized. I was filled with the spirit. And um, I began my Christian journey about 11, 12 years ago. And what was incredible is about, a, about um, I'd say, six to nine months after I gave my life to Christ, I went to court for my uh, driving accident. What we call it in the U.S. is a DUI, driving under the influence. And um, if you're not familiar, if you're not from the U.S., uh, DUIs are very, are a big deal. Like that comes with a lot of fines. You could lose your license for a, a year. It's a mess. And so I went to this court case, but I went to this court case nervous, but at the same time, trusting that God would take care of me. And I walked into the courtroom. I gave them my ticket and the lady tried looking up, uh, my ticket number. And for some reason she couldn't find my file. And it was as if the car accident never happened. And, you know, at the time, I knew nothing about God. I knew nothing about the Bible. And so I feel like that was God's way of showing me, a baby Christian, that he could give me a new life. And so that day, I walked out of that courtroom, praising God, thankful for what he had done in my life. And 
if that wasn't enough, a few months later, remember I mentioned Jennifer, whose car I damaged, about a year and a half after my car accident and about a year after I'd been a, been a Christian, um, I finally finished paying off Jennifer for the damage I did to her car. And I called her to make sure that we were squared away. And when I was on the phone with her, I just felt like telling her that I was a new person. So I called Jennifer. I said, Jennifer, are we okay? Are we, um, did I pay back everything I owed you? She said, yes. And I said, Hey, I want you to listen. I'm not the same guy who crashed your car. I'm, uh, I'm a new person. I gave my life to Christ. He changed me. He delivered me from my drug addictions. He delivered me from my reckless life. And you know what Jennifer told me? She told me that ever since that car accident, her and a friend who prays with her every week, they would gather every week and they would pray for me. And they would pray that God would use this accident to change my life. And so when I hung up the phone, I was in tears and I was like, you know, God, like, that's it. You have revealed yourself to me. I believe in you and I'm going to serve you till the day I die. So that's a little bit about my testimony, and I've been trying to serve the Lord and follow him ever since because he revealed himself to me um, in the scriptures, but also in my life. He, he revealed himself uh, through those various events. And, um, and so, but here's the interesting thing. You know, I lived my whole life up until that point not living for God, not doing his will. And so I had, an, I had to kind of figure out, okay, how do you do this? How do you walk with God? How do you serve him? How do you honor him? How do you discern his will? And so I had to go on a journey of growing in maturity, growing in biblical discernment. And so I want to share with you guys today a few lessons regarding how to discern God's will, because that is a huge task that we're responsible for is discerning the will of God in our lives. And so I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about discerning God's will. And I want to focus on one particular passage that gives us a lot of insight into this area. So rather than jumping from this verse and that verse, I want us to just kind of focus on one passage, go as deep as we can, and get as much insight as we possibly can in uh, regards to how to discern God's will. So we're going to look at the book of Romans chapter 12. Now, something I always like to do is I like to give context, okay? Now, as Christians, we do not want to be interpreting God's word out of context. We want to know, okay, where does this passage fit in with the rest of the, the book, the passages surrounding it? And so I want to just give us a brief interview, or not interview, overview, my apologies, of the book of Romans and then we'll, we'll jump into our passage. So I want to give you an overview of Romans, which is uh, very nicely outlined by a professor named Dr. John Hutchison, who actually um, teaches at the same university I, I work at, which is uh, Biola University in Los Angeles. And so according to John Hutchison, and I would agree with him, the main theme of Romans is the righteousness of God. Right in the beginning, Paul talks about there is a righteousness being that God is revealed from heaven. And the rest of the book is Paul expounding on that theme of the righteousness of God. 
And the purpose of Romans is very simple to instruct believers in the basic truths of the gospel of salvation as preparation for a future ministry among and through the Romans. So Paul also says right from the beginning, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then a lot of people would agree that Romans is basically Paul's gospel account. Some people see Romans as the fifth gospel in epistle form. And it's basically Paul, he's outlining his view of the gospel as it has been revealed to him in Christ. And so he's going to basically outline the basic truths of the gospel for the Romans to bless them and to prepare them for his visit and his ministry among and through them. And so that's the theme and the purpose. And I want to also just give a brief outline of Romans so you kind of understand where our passage is kind of situated. So the outline of Romans can be divided into three primary movements. So first, Paul talks about the righteousness of God in salvation. And that's going to be chapters one through eight. Then he talks about the righteousness of God in dealing with Israel. Because there's a lot of, uh, there's uh, his, the church in Rome is made up of both Jews and Gentiles. And one of the big questions that the Jewish Christians have is, hey, how come the, the other Jews have rejected the gospel? What's going on there? Aren't the Jews God's chosen people? And so Paul is going to address God's dealing with the Jews in Romans 9 to 11. And finally, he talks about the righteousness of God in Christian conduct. So after he's done talking about the gospel, he's going to then turn to, okay, how do we respond? And to break this down a little bit more for you guys, just so you can have like a a big picture of, of what Romans is talking about. You have the righteousness of God in salvation in the first eight chapters. And it begins with the prologue or the introduction. And then Paul moves into the, he starts with the bad news, right? Like a doctor, before he gives you a cure, he has to give you the diagnosis. So he starts with the poverty of man, which is sin in Romans 1 and 1 to 3. And he, in that he condemns Gentiles, he condemns Jews, and he condemns all men. And so he starts by saying everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, are guilty of sin and under God's wrath. That's the bad news. But then he goes from the poverty of man to the provision of God, which is salvation. And he he divides this into a few sections. He starts with justification, which is God declaring us righteous in Christ. And he talks about how this justification is by faith. And we see this in Abraham. Abraham was declared righteous by faith when he believed God. And it's the same for us when we believe in Christ. That's in chapters 3 to 5. After he talks about justification, he moves to the topic of sanctification. The the journey of growing in righteousness and holiness. It's the application of this righteousness in our day-to-day lives. We go from being um, alive to sin to dead to sin and alive to Christ. And then from sanctification, he goes to dealing with Israel. And he 
basically covers two parts, the failure of the Jews in chapters 9 to 10, and then the future hope of the Jews in, in chapter 11. So he acknowledges that, yes, the Jews have rejected Christ, but God is using that to bring the, the gospel to the Gentiles, and God will, at a later time, he will restore Israel as well, and he will bring, there will be a revival among the Jews. Then he gets to the third major movement, which is the righteousness of God in Christian conduct. And he covers different themes like Christian relationships, Christian liberty or freedom. And then he has a conclusion. Now, Romans 12 is going to be in this third section under the, the theme of Christian relationships. And so I want to read uh, the first passage to us. And it's, uh, it's Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. Paul says, therefore, so therefore, meaning after everything I've said about the gospel thus far, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of his salvation, in view of his justification, sanctification, the hope, in view of all these things, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. He says, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now that's a question we all want to want answered today, right? How do I discern God's will? His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Well, it all starts in the verses that proceed. And again, what I want to point out here is this verse is kind of the turning point in Paul's letter where he goes from exposition to exhortation, where he goes from the um, indicative, as it said, to the imperative. And so there's a turning here, but everything that starts here onward again, is built on what Paul has said before. It's built on the gospel. And so everything we do as Christians, including discerning God's will, is a response to what God has done in Christ through his justification, sanctification. It's a response to that. And so I want to break this down a little bit. So how do we discern God's will based on this passage? So he says, in view of God's mercies, okay, in view of everything God has done, I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Okay, I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. So there's basically three commands here. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing to God. Two, do not conform to the pattern of this world. But be and then three, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is how you discern God's will. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And there's a few principles we can take from these three commands. And uh, this is going to help us discern God's will in the context of worship and service to God. Okay, so the first the first principle is this. We need to assume the right posture. We need to assume the right posture. He says, therefore, 
I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So the first thing we need to do to discern God's will is we have to have a posture that recognizes what God has done for us in Christ, that recognizes our fallenness, our sinfulness, our inability to please God on our own, and says, you know what, God, I'm going to give my life to you in response to everything that you have done for us, Lord, I'm going to give my life to you. You cannot discern God's will if you are not living a life of surrender, if you're not living a life that is consecrated and dedicated to the Lord. That's number one. When I was, uh, prior to being a Christian, when I was living a life of sin, I could not, there's no way I could do God's will because I wasn't even thinking in those terms. I was thinking in terms of what do I want to do? What's best for me? Uh, what are my desires? What are my wants? What will make me feel good? All these questions that had nothing to do with a life of surrender. And so I was, there was no way that I could discern or even do God's will. And so that's number one. We need to assume the right posture, which is a posture of surrender. Now, what's nice is that we learned from the previous chapters that God has provided the perfect sacrifice, right? He has provided the perfect sacrifice in his son, Jesus. So there's no more need for us to sacrifice animals. That being said, what God has done does require a response. And the only appropriate response is for us to give our lives to God, right? We are dead to sin, alive to God, and we need to live our lives in submission to him, in, um, in a way that honors him. And so we need to see ourselves as a sacrifice that is um, that we want to present to God as holy and pleasing. That includes our whole lives, right? Including our, our bodies, including our decisions, including our, um, our character, all of those things we need to present to God. This reminds me of the verse in Proverbs that says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, right? If we want to be able to, to discern God's will, we need to have the fear of the Lord, or as Paul puts it, we need to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. So that's number one. We need to assume the right posture. Number two, we need to resist the world's practices. Romans 12 uh, verse 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. The world is basically the systems of this world that are in darkness, that are in rebellion against God. The world as a whole is not in a good place. It is not living in conformity to God's word or God's ways. It has its own rebellious nature and way of doing things. And Paul here is addressing the temptation for us to just kind of go along with the rest of the world, to go along with the world's sinfulness, to go along with the world's behaviors, way of thinking, values. And Paul is saying, we need to resist that. Now, how we resist that is actually the third point. And that is uh, number three, be transformed in your perspective. 
So Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if we want to be able to discern God's will, we need to be able to, first of all, we have to transform our thinking, right? How can we discern God's will if our perspective, if our mind is still conformed to the ways of this world, has the the same beliefs, values, and ideas as the rest of the sinful humanity. And so we need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, how do we do that? How How do we have our mind transformed? Well, in the previous verse, Paul talks about the mind being controlled by the spirit, okay? So if we want to transform mind, we need to open ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians 3 when he talks about being transformed from glory to glory and this transformation coming from the Spirit. We need to open ourselves to the work of the Spirit. And the best ways to do that is, one, by opening ourselves to the sword of the Spirit, which is Scripture. Meditating on God's law day and night, allowing the Spirit through God's Word to transform your heart, to transform your thinking, to transform your perspectives. And then and with that, cultivating a life of prayer, where like David, you're before God and saying, Lord, search me, know me, know my anxious thoughts, reveal if there's any wrong way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That is how we can have a transformed perspective, a renewed mind. So then we can discern God's perfect will. So those are that's the start is when it comes to worship and service to God, if you want to discern his will, we need to have the right posture, one of surrender. We need to resist the world's practices and we need to be transformed in our perspective. In regard to this last point, the first time I, um, I, I grasped this was this was right after I became a Christian and I was still struggling with certain things. You know, my repentance wasn't, uh, it was, it was a, a work in progress because I had lived so long a life of rebellion that God had to really uh, work, work in me to change me. So one day, um, this is right after I got saved. Uh, one day I was, uh, going home from school. I had a friend who was taking me home who wasn't a Christian and he offered to smoke weed with me. And again, I'm a new Christian here and I kind of knew, okay, I kind of knew like, yeah, this isn't right, but I I gave into temptation and I smoked in my friend's car and, the very moment I did that, I got a text from my pastor. The very moment I got a text from my pastor, who I just met, and he said, uh, John, I, uh, God has been um, putting you on my mind, and he wanted me to share this verse. And he shared the verse Psalm 1 with me. Now, if, if you guys know your Bible, you know Psalm 1 talks about the man who delights himself in the law of the Lord. And it says, Blessed is the one who delights himself in the Lord and meditates on it day and night. He will be like a a tree planted by streams of living water that bears fruit in its seasons. Not so the wicked. And so that's when I learned, okay, I need to meditate on God's law 
day and night because I want to be like that tree. I don't want to be like the wicked who are like chaff that are blown this way and that way. And so if we want to discern God's will, we need a renewed mind. We need to be transformed by the Holy Spirit. And that starts with prayer and meditation upon God's word. Okay, so that's how we discern God's will, when it, especially in regards to worship and service to God. Now, I want to kind of transition here to the next passage, which talks about discerning God's will in a different context. So the context here is going to be um, ministry and service, which is another area where we need to know how to discern God's will, right? A lot of you probably have questions like, God, how do you, how do you want to use me? Lord, how have you gifted me to serve you in the church? How do you um, want me, what ministry do you want me to join? Are you calling me to vocational ministry? Are you calling me to be a pastor, right? These are questions we ask, and this is another area where we need discernment. Thankfully, Paul addresses this here. He says this, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us have one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is service, serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraged, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So here we're going to learn how to discern God's will in the area of ministry and service, not to God, but to others. So this is what I want to talk about now. So how do we do that? How do we discover, okay, my giftings, where God is calling me to ministry? How do we do that? The first thing we need to, to do is we need to view ourselves through a lens of humility. That's number one. We need to view ourselves through a lens of humility. Paul says, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, that last phrase, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you, he's talking about the standard of faith. Right, which explains why he's called why Paul is also calling them to humility, because that's what our faith teaches us. Our faith teaches us to be humble. Our faith teaches us that no one is better than anyone else. So, in accordance with that faith, we need to have sober judgment. So, if you think too highly of yourself, if you think you're like the the best thing next to you know sliced bread, then you're not going to be able to discern how God is calling you because you're going to have an inflated uh, or inflated sense of your, yourself, your abilities, your um, capacity, right? So the first thing is we need to view ourselves through a lens of humility. 
saying, okay, God, I know you've given me gifts, but I know you've also given me limitations. I know I can't do everything. I know I can't be everywhere at once. So Lord, I'm, I want to humble myself and discern what do you have for me? I remember in, uh, this was late 2012, um, a friend of mine paid for me to go to a week-long missions conference. It's called Urbana. It's uh, hosted by a, a very large Christian organization called InterVarsity. And it's in St. Louis, Missouri, every three years, I think. And so I was, I was, I got, um, I was gifted to go to this mission conference. It's a week long. There's a bunch of workshops and, and sermons and teachings. It's a very great place to go and get equipped. And at this time, you know, I was just beginning to discover that God had called me to be a pastor and I was not humble. Okay. I wanted to be a pastor who was a jack of all trades. I wanted to be a pastor who could lead worship, who could do exposition, who could also prophesy. I wanted to work miracles. I wanted to uh, be able to host these large outreach events and kind of coordinate them and, and put together these large outreach events. I wanted to do everything. Okay. And I went to this missions conference and believe it or not, they had a workshop where you could go and receive prophetic prayer. Now I believe in the gift of prophecy as does Greg. And so I, uh, I went to this workshop and I sat down to receive prayer and I'm thinking, Lord, lay it on me. I want to hear all the amazing things you're calling me to do. I want you to confirm that I'm called to be this just amazing pastor. And you know what the, the person uh, praying for me said? The person praying for me quoted this verse. He quoted this verse. By the grace of God given to me, I say to you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. I got to tell you, that prophecy was like, uh, it was like cold medicine. Didn't feel good going down, but I really needed it. And, and it really helped me because once God had humbled me, you know, brought me down to earth a little bit, then I was able to actually sit with God and, and say, okay, God, I know I can't do everything. So what are you actually calling me to do? And then, you know, God began to reveal that, you know what? I've called you to be a Bible teacher. I've called you to teach my word, to, to, to really focus on the Bible and theology. And so that's what I'm doing. That's what I've been doing. I've been able to kind of, after I humbled myself and realized, okay, I can't do it all. I was able to open myself up to what God actually has, how God has actually gifted me and called me. And I've been able to walk in that calling. So that's number one is we need to view ourselves honestly and with humility. The second thing we need to do is after we've humbled ourselves, then we're free to discover the unique, the unique gifts that God has given to you. Paul says we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. What's incredible about God's grace is God's grace is primarily revealed in Christ. But once we've accepted this grace, that grace is then manifested in our lives 
through the use of different gifts for the service of others. So God's grace, one of the ways that it manifests in our lives, one of the ways that it shows in our lives is by us serving people in unique ways. And what's amazing is because it's a manifestation of grace, every single Christian has spiritual gifts that they can use to help others. As one pastor once said, all of God's children have gifts. And in Ephesians 4, we learn that spiritual gifts are actually Christ's gifts to the church. That after defeating Satan, he gave spiritual gifts. It's kind of like the plunder that Christ took from the devil. He now takes that plunder and he gives it to us in the form of spiritual gifts. And so um, once we humble ourselves, we're free to discover that grace that God has given to each of us. And it's different for each of us. And in fact, Paul is going to outline different ways to different ways that we might be gifted. But I wanted to go on um, somewhat of an excursus, a side note, and give you just some practical things that you can do to help discover God's spiritual gifts uh, that he's given to you. So real briefly, I wanted to share, okay, how do, how do you discover your grace gifts, as I call them, because they're a manifestation of God's grace. And I'm, um, I'm, ta- I'm adapting this from a, very, a, a scholar I respect very much named Dr. Walt Russell. And he outlines five things that we can do to help discover the ways that God has gifted us. Number one is to pray or ask Jesus, who is the head of the church. Remember, Jesus Christ, the church is the body of Christ, and he is our head. So he's the one directing the body, right? And so if we want to know how we've been gifted to serve in the body of Christ, we should turn to the head, right? And so the first thing we can do, if we're not sure how God has gifted us, is we can pray and ask Jesus. We can say, Lord, I I recognize that you have given me gifts that I can use to serve others. I want to know what those are. Lord, and you've put me in the body just the way that you wanted to. So Lord, give me clarity. Give me discernment. Help me to understand how you have gifted me and how you see me functioning in your body. So that's number one. We got to pray. We got to ask Jesus who is the head of his church. Number two is we should study the gifts, right? Because that'll kind of help us if we have an understanding of what some of the spiritual gifts are. We can read them. We can reflect on them. We can bring them into prayer. We can discuss them with other people. And so it's really important for us to know what some of the spiritual gifts are. And so we need to study the gifts and I've provided for you a list of, or a list of scriptures that provide different lists of spiritual gifts. So you have Romans 12, 3 to 8. We have Ephesians 4, 11 to 12. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 to 11. Then you have the main, one of the most popular passages, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 6 to 10, and verses 28 to 30. And then a few other passages in 1 Corinthians such as 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3, verse 8, chapter 14, verse 6, and chapter 14, verse 26. So here's what you could do. You could print out all these lists, 
and then you can read through them. And as you're reading through them, you know, prayerfully, you can think, okay, which of these gifts stand out to me? Which of these gifts resonate with me? And, and which of these gifts seem to uh, kind of correspond or match my abilities and what I've, what the ways I've served other people. So study the gifts. That's number two. Number three is determine your desires. Now, this is a very interesting one because oftentimes we don't see our desires as something good, right? We see our desires as something to surrender and something to uh, resist. But once your mind has been transformed, right, and your heart has been uh, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, your desires can actually be something that God gives to you, right? Because especially if you're living as a, a living sacrifice, you've committed your life to God, you've consecrated it to him, and if you allowed God word, God's word to, to shape you and transform you, well, then your desires can actually be something that you take into consideration. Now, of course, it's not infallible, but if, you're, if you've been sanctified, your mind has been transformed, you can say, okay, well, what are some of the ways that I enjoy serving people? How do I, en- uh, what are some of the ways that I help people that give me joy, that give me fulfillment, right? Some of you, it might be listening to hurting people. Some of you, it may be uh, expressing generosity. Some of you, it may be teaching. That's one of the ways I discovered my calling to be a Bible teacher is I started teaching the Bible and I loved it and I felt like I was good at it. And so I thought, you know what? I think this is a desire God has given me. Of course, uh, you know, it's not infallible, but for uh, the sanctified believer, it's something you can take into consideration. Um, because remember, God is the one who uh, gives us the desires of our heart when our heart is surrendered to him. Okay, so that's one thing you can consider is, what are some of the ways you help people or how do you like to help people is another way to frame it. How do you enjoy serving others? How do you enjoy uh, meeting people's needs? That's something that you can consider. Number four, you can confirm your ability with other believers. So if God has gifted you in a certain area, you should be able to um, have that confirmed by other mature believers who have been able to see you serve others, who have been able to witness your life and can affirm the gifts that God has given you. So when I um, first started to think, you know, I want to be a Bible teacher, I talked to some of my leaders, I talked to some of my pastors and said, hey, this is kind of what I'm thinking, you know, God has called me to, what do you think? And sure enough, you know, I was, I had my gifts affirmed. They said, yeah, I can see that too. And so this is a way for us to kind of check what our, our kind of run our discernment process by other mature believers so that we're not doing it on our own, right? So we need to confirm our ability with other mature believers. And lastly, we should evaluate if our ministry is blessed by God. If you are doing what God has called you to do, if you're living in accordance with God's will and you're serving others in the way that God has called you to serve him, you will see God's blessing in your ministry. In other words, your ministry will bear fruit. 
you'll see your ministry impacting the lives of other people. Doesn't mean there's never challenges, doesn't mean there's never obstacles, but your ministry is having a positive impact on the community around you. People are being blessed by your ministry. People are growing from your ministry. People are being ministered to. And so you should evaluate. So you, what you can do is you can try something, right? If you think that God is kind of leading you to one particular area of ministry, you can try it. Like say children's ministry, you can try serving in children's ministry. And after a period of time, have evaluation. Say, okay, is this bearing fruit? Um, real funny. Uh, my church has a certain idea of what a pastor should be. Uh, my church, uh, in my church, oftentimes we see a pastor as someone who has very strong administrative skills. Okay. So someone who is, who could be like a very good executive type of person, someone who's very organized and administrative. And, uh, so when I first felt the call to ministry, my pastors thought I was the same way that I was going to be this administrative person. And so they started having me plan events and plan meetings and uh, plan retreats and all these types of things. And uh, I was terrible at it. You know, I, I cannot plan. A, I am not an event planner. Let me just put it that way. I do not have very strong administrative skills. And so after a period of time, I evaluated and my pastors agreed like, okay, John, you're great at teaching, but we're going to have someone else plan the retreats. Okay. Cause planning is not your forte. And so the same can go for you. So you can try something out and then see, okay, is your ministry bearing fruit? Is your, are you um, excelling in this? And that could be part of the discernment process. And this isn't in any particular order, but these all five of these things are practices that we can do on a continual, uh, continuing ongoing basis. And this will help bring clarity to our uh, discernment process and help us discern how God is calling us. So that is how we can discover the unique God, uh, gifts that God has given to you. And then once we've discovered those gifts, we're called to use them. Serve others according to your unique gifts. This is point number three. Paul says, if your gift is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so these are the three things that we can do to discover God's will or discern God's will in the area of ministry and service. One, view yourself through a lens of humility. Two, discover the unique gifts God has given you. And then three, use those gifts. Serve others according to your unique gifts. That is how you can discern God's will in the area of ministry and service. Now I want to transition to the next area, which is relationships and conflict. Let me tell you, that's another area where we need discernment. When we're navigating relationships with the, which are messy, and when we're navigating conflict where we need to exercise wisdom, this is where we really need wisdom from God. This is where we really need discernment, and we need to 
you know, be able to tread carefully. And so Paul continues in verses 9 to um, 16. He says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Here's the interesting thing about the verses I just read. In verse 9, he says, love must be sincere. And that's actually kind of like a heading for the rest of the verses. Love must be sincere. And then Paul begins to break down what sincere love looks like in different situations. So love must be sincere. What does that look like? Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Love must be sincere. What does that look like? Be devoted to one another in love. Love must be sincere. Okay, what does that look like? Honor one another above yourselves. Love must be sincere. How do we do that? Never lack in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Love must be sincere. Okay, what does that look like? Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And so he's commanding us to have sincere love. And he shows us what love looks like in different situations, whether that's love toward God or love toward others. And so what's nice here is we're given different situations, different occasions, and we're told what love looks like in those occasions. So, for example, what do we do when we encounter evil? We reject it. We hate it. What do we do when we encounter good? We hold on to it. What do we, uh, how do we relate to other believers? We devote ourselves to them. We love them. How do we treat other people? We honor them above ourselves. How are we supposed to, what's the general attitude of our life? We should never lack zeal, but we can, we should keep our spiritual fervor. How do we respond in seasons of hope? We should rejoice. How do we respond in seasons of affliction? We should be patient. We should trust God. We should pray. And what should we do when we encounter people who are in need? We should share. We should practice hospitality. And so what's nice is if you need wisdom in different situations, you can turn to this passage and say, okay, am I going through a season of difficulty? What am I called to? Or I'm called to patience. I'm called to prayer. If you encounter someone who has real needs, I'm not talking about someone who's reckless and irresponsible and just wants to freeload off people, but someone who really just needs help. What do we do when we encounter that person? Well, depending on our, our means, we should help that person. We should share, right? As the word says, we should practice hospitality. And so that's, uh, this passage gives us discernment in kind of like just different situations. And it, tell, it teaches us how to practice and um, to show sincere love. So again, love must be sincere. It's kind of like the heading and everything else is kind of an explanation of what that looks like in different situations. So let's move on to the next uh, few verses here. Now it gets into conflict. Okay, how do we navigate conflict? Paul writes, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. 
do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited. And then more explicitly related to um, conflict, he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So if you're in a situation where you're at odds with someone, or someone has wronged you and you need wisdom, follow this. Okay, so first, number one, you're not going to return evil for evil. So if someone sinned against you, you're not going to sin against them. So that's off the list of possible responses. You're going to act in a way that is uh, blameless, that is that everyone else would see as right. Okay, so you're going to think, okay, what would the rest of my community approve of? would see as wise, would see as right. So that's number two. You're also, as far as it depends on you, you're going to do everything you can to live at peace with everybody. So where there's room for reconciliation, you're going to reconcile. Where there's a need to forgive, you're going to forgive. Right? Where there's a need to have a a tough conversation, you're going to do it because as long as it depends on you, you're going to live at peace with everybody. You're not going to take revenge right? And Paul spends a lot of time on this topic. So that's, again, that's off your list when it comes to discerning God's will. You're not going to, you're not going to take revenge into your own hands. You're going to leave room for God's wrath. And kind of a summary statement at the end is you're you're not going to be overcome by evil, but you're going to overcome evil with good, okay? And let's look at the previous passage again, verses uh, 14 to 15. You're going to bless those who persecute you. You're going to pray for them. You're not going to curse them. When you're dealing with, this isn't related to conflict, but when you're dealing with people who are hurting, you're going to mourn with them. You're not going to brag about how great your life is. You're going to seek to live in harmony with people. And you're not going to show partiality, but you're going to be willing to associate with people of a low position. So again, this is providing us wisdom for navigating relationships and really uh, navigating conflict. And one of the things I want to point out about these passages is, I don't know if you noticed this, but Paul's teaching here sounds a lot like Jesus' teaching. It sounds a lot like Jesus' teaching on love and his teaching on conflict. And so Paul here is echoing the very teachings of Christ which is going to tie into some of my final points here. So I want to summarize some of the principles from this passage, and it's going to answer, okay, how do we discern God's will in relationships and conflict? Number one, we're going to demonstrate love on all occasions. On all occasions, whether we're in a difficult season, we're in a, a joyful season, whether we're encountering people who are in need, Whatever the occasion is, we're going to demonstrate love. And again, Paul outlines what that looks like for us in the passages we read earlier. 
Number two, we're going to navigate conflict by honoring Christ's example and teaching. Remember I said Paul's, uh, what Paul said sounded very similar to Christ. That's because he's echoing the teachings of his Lord. And so for us, when we're navigating conflict, we want to make sure that we're honoring Christ's example and we're honoring his teaching. We're following his example, who Jesus, who never, uh, he didn't return evil for evil, but he was, he was silent right before his accusers. He didn't, he didn't curse his enemies, right? So he didn't, uh, he didn't do anything that was sinful or he didn't take revenge. He didn't turn to violence. So we're going to honor Christ's example and we're going to honor his teaching. Okay. That's number two. So that's how we discern how to navigate relationships and conflict. And number three, we're going to pursue peace with everyone and never resort to evil. So these are some principles you can have regarding how to discern God's will in relationships and conflict. And I apply these all the time in my life with my, in my marriage, right? When I'm bumping heads with my boss at church, right? When I'm uh, listening to people share complaints, right? I'm applying all of these things, you know, in the strength of the Holy Spirit to the best of my ability. And so this is, these are some principles for discerning God's will in relationship and conflict. Now, I'm done reading verses, but I want to point something out to you that I hope you picked up on. And this is going to be kind of like my final point is this. I hope you picked up on this. But what we learn from Romans 12 is that biblical discernment is less about choosing between two or more equal choices. And it's more about cultivating a lifestyle that pleases God. Okay, so biblical discernment is less about, like, say you have, you're, you're trying to figure out where to go to college. And both schools are good. You have equal funding for both schools. They, they both have the same opportunities, same program. You could find a church community in either one. They seem like equal choices. And you're like, okay, God, do I go to this school or this school? Biblical discernment is less about that. And it's more about cultivating a lifestyle that honors God and pleases him. It's about learning to live as a living sacrifice, showing love on different occasions, navigating conflict in a way that's Christ-like. That's what biblical discernment is all about. And here's the good news. Within that, when you are living a life that pleases God, there's a lot of freedom, right? You can choose. There's a lot of uh, freedom that God gives us to make our own choices as long as we're living in a way that honors God. And that's the thing about Christians is we don't feel comfortable with responsibility, right? We don't like that. We want God to kind of just make all the decisions for us. But as long as we're living a life surrendered to God, our mind is being transformed. We are seeking to love others. There's actually a lot of freedom that God gives us to make different choices. And we need to, to learn how to make those choices responsibly. And, um, and in the case where, you know, and another thing I'll say is this. If you are living a life that is in submission to God, God is going to direct your steps. So if you're in that situation, you're like, God, which school do I go to? You can trust that if, you're, if your life is surrendered to him, you're trying to live a life that pleases him, 
God is going to direct your steps and you're not going to miss out on anything that God has for you. I guarantee it. God is going to sovereignly guide your steps and he is going to lead you the way he wants you to go. And a perfect example of this is my relationship with my spouse. So a few years ago, I was praying, God, I want to, I want a wife. I want to get married. And you know what? My, I'm from Los Angeles. My wife is from Houston. We met in Seattle, of all places. We just happened to be going to the same leadership conference. I was coming from LA. She was coming from Texas. We happened to meet. It happened to be the right time for both of us. And we started dating. Now, anything could have happened. I could have gotten sick and not ended up going. She could have ended up having to work and, and canceling the event. But remember, you know, God is faithful to direct our steps. God is faithful to work all things together for our good. Our responsibility is to live a life that is pleasing to God, to serve others with the gifts he's given us, to love on all occasions, and to navigate conflict in a way that reflects Christ. And if we're doing that, if we're walking in God's ways, he will, he will guide our steps. Amen. And the last thing I'll say is this, is uh, one kind of thing that is not addressed here is there is room for prophetic discernment, uh, prophetic direction. And so if you are in one of those kind of fork, you have to make a fork in the road decision and they both seem equal, you can ask God, hey, Lord, I could use some prophetic direction, like help me, like lead someone to pray for me. And you know what, God, he may give you that prophetic direction or he may say, you know what, take a step. I'm giving you the choice. And so um, hope that blesses you. I hope that gives clarity. And um, I'll stop sharing now. Actually, let me uh, close in prayer and then I'll, I'll pass the ball back to Greg and he can wrap things up. Let's, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I want to thank you so much for just the gift of discernment. Lord, thank you for giving us biblical principles that we can live by so that we can honor you in different areas of life. Lord, I just pray that you would help all of us to exercise biblical discernment. Lord, help us to, in our service and worship to you. God, help us to have the right posture. Lord, help us to resist the world's practices and help us to be transformed in our perspective, God. Help us to constantly be renewed by your word and by your Holy Spirit. Help us to constantly live a life of surrender. God, in our service to others, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be humble. Help us to have a, um, an honest view of ourselves that recognizes both this, our strengths and our weaknesses, our abilities and our limitations, our gifts and our areas of weakness. And Lord, I pray, I want to pray for everyone here, for those who don't know how you've called them, those who lack clarity. God, I want to pray that you would give clarity. I want to pray that you would help everyone listening to discover the gifts that you've given to them. God, I pray that people listening, that they would begin to discover gifts that they didn't, they don't even, they didn't know they even had, that they would discover new gifts that you've given to them, that they would begin to see your blessing and your fruitfulness in ministries you've called them to. And I pray again, just for clarity and wisdom. And I pray that they would use their gifts 
for the good of others. And Lord, I ask that you would also help us to love on all occasions, especially in conflict. Lord, when we're, when we're in a situation where someone has wronged us or we've wronged someone and we're tempted to compromise, we're tempted to take a shortcut, we're tempted to, to, to follow the world and take revenge, God, I pray that we would remember this passage. We would remember what you called us to and we would follow the example and teaching of Christ. We love you, Lord. We surrender this. Uh, I just surrender this teaching into your hands. I pray that it would minister to people. It would continue to guide their lives. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. And uh, thanks, Greg, again for letting me share. Amen. And, um, I'll make you the, the host again. Amen. Thank you, uh, brother. Um, stop now.